Thank you, band and praise team and church for your worship. Hey, we're in Luke chapter 10 today if you have your Bibles. If you don't have your Bibles, our ushers are going to come down the aisle. They'll have some for you. If you want a Bible today, if you forgot one, if you don't have one, just wave at our ushers and they'll give you one. We've given away nearly 500 Bibles like this since our church began uh, 22 months ago. Um, if you just forgot it, you can, you can use it and throw it on the table when you leave. If you don't have a Bible or you don't know where yours is, put your name in this one and keep it. Uh, it is our gift to you. And we are, I can't believe this, but we are nearly complete with our summer ministry here at Journey Church International. We started the Sunday after Memorial Day with a series called Bedtime Stories Volume 2. Last summer, we just did straight Bible teaching from the Old Testament. We, we had a series called Bedtime Stories Volume 1. We taught through the greatest stories of the Old Testament and how to apply them to our life. And we said, this year we're going to do Bedtime Stories Volume 2, just straight Bible teaching, but through the life of Jesus. And all summer long, we've been learning about Jesus. We've been learning about ourselves. We've been learning about our relationship with Jesus and our life, trying to become like Jesus. And probably last week, if you were not here last week, and we're getting into kind of the final going away days before school starts, so maybe you weren't here last week or you might not be here next week, make sure you keep track of the the three-week package of last week to next week. Go back and listen online, download a podcast, watch it, uh, whatever you do. But last week we talked about our Christian responsibility, and we talked about what as Christians we'll be accountable for one day when we stand before God. An important message to hear, but we've learned a lot about Jesus, we've learned a lot about ourselves, but today we kind of learn about Jesus' overall mission For Christians in the world, Uh, not just for you and me, for you and me, of course, but for every Christian who's ever lived between now and when Jesus lived and between now and the end of the world. Jesus says, I have a specific task for you. I have a specific mission for you. And in Luke chapter 10, we read about that mission. Now, this week in our email, I ask you this question. Did you know that Jesus had more than 12 disciples? Do you know that Jesus had more than 12 disciples that followed him everywhere he went? And according to Acts chapter 1 and 2, were actually with him every day, ate every meal with him, went in and out with Jesus just like the original 12 did. And he actually trained these extra disciples. He sent them on missions. He critiqued them. He evaluated them. A lot of people didn't know that Jesus had more than 12 people who followed him around every day. But Luke chapter 10 says, in addition to the 12, Jesus laid his hand on 72 specific other disciples and said, here's what you need to do. I want to read that text to you today, Luke chapter 10, verses 1 through 20. And then we're just going to ask ourselves the question today, are we living on mission? We call ourselves Christians. The word Christian means a follower of Jesus. If Jesus is really our leader, if Jesus is really our master, are we living life the way he has told us to? We find out what that looks like today in Luke chapter 10. And here's how it starts. It says, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others, and he sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals. Don't greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, then your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there, eating and drinking, whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Don't move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcome, eat what is offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. But when you enter a town and are not welcome, go into its streets and say, Even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet is a warning to you. Yet be sure of this. 
the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it's going to be more bearable on the day of Sodom. Uh, it's going to be more bearable, more bearable on that day for Sodom than for those in that town. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. These are just cities that who had rejected Jesus. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it's going to be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted up to the heavens? No, you'll go down to Hades. Whoever listens to you listens to me. Whoever rejects you rejects me. But whoever rejects me actually rejects him who sent me. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, don't just rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Now, before we dig into Luke chapter 10, I want to give you kind of a, what I call a Bible reading tip. A lot of you have started reading your Bibles at home. Some of you are reading your Bibles every day. Some of you are trying to read your Bibles every day. And a lot of you are reading your Bibles, but you don't really understand everything that you're reading. And you wish you had a Bible teacher or a small group leader or a pastor there with you to explain things. So here's a Bible reading tip for you, because we can't even really understand today's text without answering this question. Look at Luke chapter 10, verse 1. It says, after this. Now, anyone who's reading the Bible and who really wants to understand Luke chapter 10 has to ask the question, after what? Because we have picked up in the middle of a story in Luke chapter 10, verse 1. We have walked into the movie 10 minutes late. We have picked up the season at episode 4, or we have turned on the television show about 30 minutes into the episode. We're not quite sure what happened at the beginning, but all we know is in Luke chapter 10, something happened, something big, and after that something, Jesus said, here's how you live for me. So just a little Bible reading tip. If we're going to learn... What in the world we're talking about in Luke chapter 10, we have, to, we have to read a little before Luke chapter 10. So go to Luke chapter 9, verse 57. Because Luke chapter 10 says, after this. We have to circle this and say, after what? Good question. Answering that question is going to allow this text to really, to really challenge our hearts a little more, I believe. It says, as they were walking along the road, I'm in Luke 9, 57. A man said to Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have dens, birds have nests, but the Son of Man doesn't have any place to lay his head. He said to another man, follow me. But that man replied, Lord, first let me go bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. You go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord. But first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Verse 62, Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. So after Jesus has spent time teaching his disciples what a real follower of Jesus looks like versus someone who wants a little bit of what Jesus has but who doesn't want to live for Jesus, after Jesus distinguished between this is someone who really wants to live for me and this is someone who wants a little bit of what I have. And listen, there are people out there who they want to follow me if it takes them to heaven but they don't want anything between here and heaven and Jesus says that won't work. And there are some people who want to follow me, but when it's convenient to follow me, and that won't work. And there are others who want to follow me and who will pledge to follow me in five or ten years when they're done with this phase of life, but that won't work. And there are some who want to follow me if I give them tremendous blessings, but that won't work. But if you are someone who says, Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you tell me to go. I'll do whatever you tell me to do. Jesus, you're my master, and I'm your servant. He said, if you are one of the ones who, are say, who will say, Jesus, I'm on mission, then here is 
your mission. And in Luke chapter 10, he gives a mission to, after he has weeded out the crowd, he gives a mission to those who have remained and said, we'll do, like, we'll do whatever you tell us. Like right now, right here, Jesus, you and I, I'm following you. What do you want me to do? Jesus says, I'm glad you ask, and he gives them a mission. Now, let me ask you a question today. As you sit in this room on August 4, 2013, are you living on mission spiritually? And do you even know what that question means? Because I was about six years into my time as a youth pastor. I've been doing youth ministry for six years, and I got into youth ministry. Here, here was my mission in youth ministry. I wanted to see kids who did not have Jesus in their life. I wanted to see kids whose mom and dads didn't love God, whose mom and dads wouldn't take them to church. I wanted to see kids who loved life but didn't know Jesus. I wanted to connect Jesus so deeply into their life that it would change their life, change their future, change their relationships, change their grades, change the way they dated, change the way they married, change their mom and dad, change their little brothers and sisters. I mean, I was on a mission to see teenagers desperately find Jesus and have their life radically changed. And I did that for a few years. And our youth group grew so much that about six years into it, the mission was over and I was an administrator over really what had become the mess of the ministry. And if you were to say, Christian, what's your mission this week? It would be, well, my, you know, my role this week is to make sure the youth building is open on time and closed on time and make sure we have enough pizza and make sure the basketballs are blown up. And I, I just became an administrator of stuff. And I got to meet with this family and I got to meet with this guy. And I, gotta, and I didn't live, eat, sleep, breathe helping people who were desperate for Jesus find Jesus. And I, and I, and I got to the point where I thought, you know, I'm a, I'm a full-time pastor, but I'm a part-time Christian. And I started digging into God's word again, and I thought, God, like, what am I supposed to do with my life? If someone would have said, Christian, are you living on mission? I would have said, I'm not sure I understand what that means. What, like, what am I supposed to do for Jesus? And as, and as I studied the four books in the Bible that were written specifically about Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, as I studied the book of Acts, which was written about Jesus' church, I found out that Jesus' mission was very simple. It was difficult and it took a lifetime to follow, but Jesus' mission was clearly laid out in Scripture. And here's what I found out that it was. After about two or three years of study, I realized whether I was a pastor, whether I was a school teacher, whether I was a coach, whether I was an engineer, whether I was a mechanic, whether I was a contractor, regardless of what I did, I realized if I'm a Christian, here's Jesus' mission for me. It became the mission for my life before it became the mission of our church, and you hear it all the time. Here's Jesus' mission for Christians, to see people. Here's our role. Here's our mission for you and I to see people far from God become passionate Christians who live to make a difference in the world. That is Jesus' mission for the world. You say, where does it say that, Christian? In three texts of Scripture, two of them that are defined as great, one that in the last ten years in churchianity has been defined as great, they're what we call the Great Commission, the Great Commandment, and the Great Compassion. As I got into Scripture and I said, Lord, I don't care what my pastor says, I don't care what my seminary says, I don't care what books say, I don't care what my mentors say, what does God's Word say my mission is as a Christian? God said, Christian, here's your mission. First and foremost, Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19, and 20. You have to live your life to tell people about Jesus. If you're a Christian, you have to live your life to tell people who, are, who do not know who God is, you have to live your life to tell them about Jesus. And I said, okay, I, I can understand. That's part of my mission. God, what else? God said, great commandment. Matthew chapter 22 or, or uh, yeah, Matthew chapter 22, 37 through 38. 
Somebody came up and asked Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is the first and greatest commandment. So I said, God, what do you want me to do? And God said, great, you have to live your life to help people who don't know who I am find out about me. Okay, God, what else? You have to live your life to love me with everything in your life. Christian, you continue to figure out how to put more of you in the bucket of who I am and serve me. I said, okay, God, I can do that. And then as I searched the scriptures further, I found what I've now come to find out is called the great compassion in scripture. Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 through 46, where God says, one day you're going to stand before me and I'm going to separate people as a shepherd separates sheep from goats and the people on the right and the people on the left. And here's how Christians will live their life. They'll find people that need clothes and they'll clothe them. They'll find people who are thirsty and they'll give them water. They'll find people in prison and they'll visit them. They'll find people who are sick and they'll take care of them. Christians will care about hurting people in the world. And it became real clear to me that my mission as a Christian, your mission as a Christian, anyone who wants to follow God's word, our mission is to be great commission, great commandment, great compassion Christians. To find people who are far from God, help them love God radically, and then help people who are hurting and in need of a touch from God. That became the mission statement of my life. It became the mission statement of our church. It is the mission statement of Scripture. So my question to you today is, how are you doing? Do any of you have that little GPS lady on your phone when, when you're going from one place to another and you can plug in the route? Here's, here's where I am and I want to go here. If this is God's route for your spiritual progress, that you have to go through great commission, great commandment, and, and great compassion, and, and you're here and God's will for you is here, and you're on the route. Do, do, do you ever get to a place where you've taken a wrong turn and she just screams at you, recalculating, recalculating, or rerouting, rerouting, or turn around, turn around, take the next left turn? This week, Pastor Ryan and I were in Dallas at, at a church planning conference talking about what our church is doing, and they had major construction in Dallas, and a lot of the exit ramps were closed. And for three or four minutes, she would just say, turn around, turn around, turn around. I said, shut her up. We know where we're going now. Every now and then, We get off track spiritually. Instead of heading for great commission, great commandment, great compassion Christians, we just, well, I'm just going to go to church, and I'm just going to have some quiet time to myself. We get off track, and the Holy Spirit starts saying to us, you've got to exit, you've got to exit, you've got to exit. We've got to recalculate. You've got to make a U-turn. And you say to God, shut that thing up. I'm going to live life my way. You see, that's where I was in about 2003, 2004, and I finally got so sick of the Holy Spirit in my head saying, recalculating. I said, okay, God, where am I supposed to go? And God led me to Luke chapter 10 as a culmination of great commission, great commandment, great compassion living. And he said, this is how I directed people to live their life on mission for me in the Bible. Christian, if you would have been a New Testament disciple, this is what would have been asked of you. So if you want to follow me, here we go. So are you living on mission? What does it look like? Three things that I want to show you today. First, someone who's living on mission is always aware of the relationships that they have in life with people who are not close to God. They are people who always have an awareness of the people in their life that they live in relationship with who do not personally know Jesus yet, people who are far from God. It's not that they have a conviction to witness to them every day. It's not that they have a conviction to bang down their door and say, are you going to go to heaven or hell? It's not that they invite them to church every Sunday. But there's this awareness in their soul. People who are living on mission, they realize part of their mission is to help people who don't know God know him. And there becomes this awareness that my mom and dad, my spouse, my kids, my neighbor, my employees, my employer, my coach, If I'm a coach, the kids on my team, my teacher, if I'm a teacher, the kids in my class, the people who live, there are some people in my network, there are some relationships I have with people that I don't think know God yet. Are you aware of that 
And do you even care about that? Man, Luke chapter 10, verses 1 and 2 is some of the most powerful truth that I have ever read when I stopped to study that this week. Look at Luke chapter 10, verses 1 and 2. Let, let, me, let me give you some great truth about the relationships in your life. It says, after this, by the way, if, if you just want to mark your Bible up for the person that might find it and read it after you, circle the word this and draw an arrow to verse 62. That way if someone finds your Bible one day and they read that, they'll read this and they'll stop and read verse 62 so they'll know what this means. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others, and he sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. Then he told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. You know, the first, I don't know, 100 times that I read this text, the first 25 times I read this text, my feeling as a quick overview of the text was this. Jesus didn't have time to hit every place. Jesus didn't have time to hit everyone. So the places he couldn't go, he sent the disciples to. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that Jesus sent them to towns that he was intending to visit to talk to people that he was intending to have a conversation with. He said, I'm going to send you here because I am going there. And your job is to get them ready for me. As I read Luke chapter 10 and as I understand scripture, here's the spiritual fact that I've become to, that, that I get knowledgeable. Jesus has a visit planned with every person in your life. You see, Philippians 2 says one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Every human being that exists in Lee Summit, every human being that exists in Kansas City, every human being that exists in Missouri and Kansas, the two states that our church services, every human being that exists in the United States of America, every human being that exists in Guatemala where a mission team just returned from yesterday, every human being that exists in Israel where a mission team is going to in November, every human being that has ever lived on the face of the earth has an appointment with Jesus. One day every one of them will look him in the eye, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord, every person in your life, every person in my life, every person in our families has an appointment with Jesus. Because that is so, Jesus says, you go and get them ready because I'm coming. And see, at some point, I'm going to come to their town. I'm going to come to their house. I'm going to come to their workplace. At some point, I'm going to have a conversation with them. So your job is to get them ready. Your job is to be aware of the relationships in your life. And to understand one day I'm going to have a relationship with that person in your life. And your job's to get them ready. And guess what? Some may be very accepting. And some may reject you. And some may never speak to you again. Your job isn't to convert them. People can't convert people. Your job is to get them ready because I have an appointment with them in the future. See, in Luke 10, Jesus said, you're going to go here because I'm going to go there. And I just basically, I want you to get the oven preheated for me. Just go and start the process so that I can finish it. You know, in Esther chapter 4, 14, we, we see this dynamic of being aware of the relationships in our life and the fact that we can have some kind of spiritual influence. Esther was the queen in the king's palace. The king didn't realize she was Jewish. He was going to annihilate all the Jewish people. And her uncle came to him and said, Esther, like maybe, just maybe God has given you a relationship with this person so you can help them know who God is and help them understand what God's will is. And he said this to her in Esther 4.14. Who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this? Who knows 
that God didn't move that neighbor and across the street from you so you could get them ready to meet Jesus? Who knows if God didn't give you that job at that workplace so you could get people ready for Jesus? Who knows if God didn't change your jobs so the new cubicle you sit in is next to someone that Jesus needs to have a conversation with in two weeks? Who knows if God didn't put us on planet Earth to exist in relationships with people far from God so that we could get them ready for Jesus? You see, someone who lives on mission is constantly aware of relationships they have with people who are not close to God, and they pray about that. They think about that. They wonder how they can introduce them to a God and a Jesus that we know because we believe, like Jesus said, that peace will come to that person in that household if they meet Jesus. Secondly, this is my favorite part of this message. It's kind of become my life's mission. It's the name that I've given my spiritual life. It's the name that we've given our church. Jesus tells us about our spiritual journey. He said, if you're going to live on mission, you need to understand what your spiritual journey is going to look like. And while this is the favorite part, my favorite part of this text, this is also the part of this text that I hate most because of what the text has in it. Jesus says you need to understand if you're going to live on mission, this, this is what your journey is going to look like. Look at chapter 10, verses 3. We'll go through verse 12, and then we'll pick up at verse 16. If you're going to be on mission, you need to understand what your, your journey is going to look like. Go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Now, if we stop right there, we think that's not good. For those of us who understand animals, that's, that's a bad place to start. Um, I'm sending you out as lambs among wolves. Don't take a purse, a bag, or sandals. Don't greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, say peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Don't move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcome, eat what's offered to you. Heal the sick who are there. Tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. But when you enter a town and are not welcome, go into the streets and say even the dust of your town. We wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure this kingdom of God has come near you. I tell you it will be more bearable in that town for Sodom than uh, it, I tell you it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Verse 16, whoever listens to you will listen to me. And whoever rejects you will reject me. But whoever rejects me actually rejects him who sent me. That's God. So we, we see in, in verses 10 in verses 3 through 12 and verse 16, we see what I call kind of the spiritual facts of life. Now, if you're over 30, you remember that show, Facts of Life, right? You take the good, you take the bad, you take it all, and then you have, uh, yeah. The, so, you know, that one other person watches Nick at Night, too. Yeah, so you should check it out. It's an okay show with a bunch of girls that live in a weird place. Uh, but anyway, in, in Luke chapter 10, we see the spiritual facts of life. Jesus is basically saying, now, you need to know if you're going to live for me, here's what life looks like. And this is not what you normally hear in church about what spiritual life looks like. But Jesus says, here's what you need to know. And there are seven things that he gives. At first, you need to know, here's some spiritual facts of life. If you're going to live on mission for me, it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard. Now, folks, that's not what I want to hear, and that's really not what I want to say. But that's what the Bible says in verse 3. He said, I'm sending you out, and it's going to be like lambs among wolves. That's not easy. That's like move around at nighttime in cover of darkness type of stuff. It can, it, it can be hard. Jesus said, you need to know if you're going to live on mission for me, it, a lot of the times it's going to be day to day. He said, don't take extra clothes. Don't take extra foods. Like you're going to live one day at a time. Man, some of you are in here today and you feel like you're out of God's will because you're living one day at a time. Like your goal today was just to get up and make it through the day. And your goal tomorrow 
is just to get up and make it through the day. And your goal Tuesday is just to make it through the day. And you're thinking, why is my life so hard? I can't get past one day at a time. I must be out of God's will. God said, no, actually, that's, what a, that's, that's part of the journey. There's times in the journey when it's really hard. There's times in the journey where it's one day at a time. The, the line that I hate the most in the Lord's Prayer is this line, give us this day our daily bread. I don't, I don't like to pray one day at a time. I don't like to think one day at a time. I don't like to worry one day at a time. I like to pray this way, give us our bread for at least the rest of this year. And then in October, I'll figure out what I need for next year. Like, I struggle on 24-hour cycles, but God says you need to understand a lot of times Christianity is one day at a time. It is like if, if you've got enough to get through the day, don't worry about tomorrow. He actually says tomorrow we'll have troubles, but don't worry about it. If you've got enough today, just feel blessed, live blessed, enjoy the day. Solomon would say in Ecclesiastes, eat, drink, be merry, enjoy your family, go to bed. Quit worrying about all the future stuff. Jesus said Christianity is day to day. Jesus said Christianity, number three, sometimes is represented by friends and fellowship. And man, we've all been in these great seasons of Christianity where we've got the perfect small group, the perfect Sunday school, the perfect Bible study. We live in the perfect neighborhood. We've got great friendships. And our life is characterized in this season by friends and fellowship. And Jesus said sometimes that's what the journey looks like. But sometimes, Jesus said, the journey is characterized by enemies and emptiness. And it doesn't seem like anyone cares about you. It's really empty. And even when you read your Bible, you feel empty. And it's, it's like a car that a gas gauge is broken. And no matter how much gas you put in it, the gauge appears to read empty. And some of you today, your soul, you're on the right journey, but your soul feels broken because you can't figure out why you're always empty and why you have no friends or fellowship. Jesus said sometimes on the journey, you're going to rejoice with people spiritually. You're going to go into a house and say, peace. And they're going to say, peace. And it's going to be like, peace. You know, and everything. I actually, I don't think he meant it that way. But, you know, something like that. He says it's going to be a peaceful, exciting existence. And you're going to come. You're going to be happy. And they're going to be happy. And everything's going to work really well together. And your spiritual life's going to be characterized by rejoicing with, spiritual, with people spiritually over what's happening in your life, what's happening in their life. He said, but sometimes there's going to be seasons in life where you feel like you're rejected by people spiritually. And man, those people you used to serve with so faithfully, they've now rejected you for one reason or another. Maybe because your kids don't love God enough. Or that pastor that you used to serve so faithfully now talks about you behind your back. You know, I have found out in the 13 years of ministry I've done that Christians are some of the meanest people you'll ever run across in your life. It's sad, but it's true. We get with people in small groups and Bible studies and accountability groups, and we share some of our deepest, darkest secrets. And the first time we disappoint someone, man, I mean, it's like they're the devil incarnate. Jesus said that's part of the journey. You need to realize that it's not that that's good, but that's not abnormal either. That's part of the journey. He said eventually what you're going to find out on your journey is this. Everything in your life, you'll, you'll begin to identify with Jesus and things in your life. And you'll realize people who love Jesus deeply... And who pursue Jesus deeply, you're going to be very close to when you're loving Jesus deeply and pursuing Jesus intimately. And some people are going to take advantage of you because you pursue Jesus and you do the right thing and they do the wrong thing and you're going to adapt, turn the other cheek and it's not going to go well for you. But you're going to become much more like Jesus if you just keep living life on the journey. You see, some of you are in here today trying to figure out whether or not it's worth it to continue on the journey because it's hard. And because you're tired of going one day at a time. 
And because this season is characterized by enemies and emptiness, and this season has been characterized by you feel like you're being rejected by people spiritually. But if you just stay on the journey, you see, what I have learned is life is not a destination. Life is a direction. If we will stay headed in the right direction, the destination doesn't come till we die. But if we will stay headed in the right direction, eventually we, we move out of the periods of rejection, of emptiness, of difficulty. But, I, you, man, I, I tell people that the, the, the step-by-step progress of Christianity, it's much more like the game Sorry than the game Candyland, right? I mean, Christianity is not gumdrop to bubblegum to chocolate fountain. You know, it's all good along the way. No, Christianity is sometimes five steps forward, sorry, to slide all the way back to three steps forward, sorry, to go two steps. And the direction is, is important. Are you headed on your spiritual journey? Are you headed in the right direction right now? And in three weeks, we will start what I believe will be the most crucial series ever preached in the history of our young church. It's a series called Supernatural. And the entire series is about spiritual warfare and spiritual things and about the supernatural aspect of being a Christian. We're going to talk about God and angels. We're going to talk about Satan and demons. Some of you read this text and you're like, man, that's crazy. You'll understand after this eight-week series what that means. But if we can't begin to pull back the cloud of spiritual things that's happening to us, we'll never get through the emptiness, the day-to-day, the hard stuff. We'll never get by the rejection. We have to understand the spiritual side, the supernatural side of following Jesus. And if we can understand that, our journey, well, there'll be days where it's really difficult. But if we stay going in the right direction, eventually we're going to become more like Jesus and we'll identify with Jesus powerfully. So our awareness of our relationships, if we live on mission, is critically important. Our journey, and just realizing that it's not always easy, but being willing to keep going the right direction is important. And then thirdly, it's important, Jesus says, to understand our role. And I don't think a lot of us always capture the importance of the role that we play spiritually just by being a part of a great church, by pursuing a great God, by being engaged in the things that so many of us are engaged in. Look at verses 17 through 20. Because Jesus wanted these disciples to understand exactly what they were doing spiritually and how they were impacting the world spiritually. In verses 17 through 20, it says, The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions. Now, in a couple of weeks, you'll be much more afraid of snakes and scorpions than demons and Satan. That, that's where I am now. I read that and I'm like, ooh, snakes. Some of you are reading, you're like, whoa, demons? Hey, demons and Satan are okay. Snakes and scorpions are bad. Except in verse 19, I guess they're okay. I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, don't just rejoice that the spirits submit to you. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. So, a couple of things that we need to understand about our roles spiritually. As we try to live on mission, what are, what, what's our role spiritually? The first thing that Jesus says is most important. Here's your most important role. Number one, keep growing closer to Jesus. I love what Jesus said. They said, Jesus, this was so awesome. Look at the ministry that we did. And Jesus said, that's great, but you need to understand, here's what's way more important to me than you do in ministry. You stand really close to me. In in verse 20, he said, don't just rejoice that the Spirit submit to you. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Hey, here's the most important thing in our church for me, for those of you who attend our church regularly, is that you're growing spiritually. You personally are growing spiritually. 
In Revelation chapter 2, verses 2 through 4, we see what probably is the best-run church in the history of the world. Everyone served. Everyone was a greeter or an usher or, or served in the parking ministry or the nursery ministry or the children's ministry or cutting up fruit or pouring coffee or setting up chairs or tearing down chairs or setting up sound or running computers. I mean, in this church in Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2, everything in the church was done perfectly, but the people loved the church more than they loved Jesus. And in Revelation 2, 2 through 4, Jesus said, listen, I know your deeds. I know your hard work. I know your perseverance. I know you can't tolerate wicked people, that you've tested those who claim to be apostles but, but are not saved and knew the Bible. You've found them to be false. You've persevered. You've endured hardship for my name. And you've not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You've forsaken the love that you had it. For some of you in here, if you were honest with yourselves and you were honest with me, you were not as close to Jesus today as you were a year ago today. You are not as close to Jesus today as you were six months ago today. And you may serve more. And you may have a more important role in the church. But your heart is not going after Jesus like it was. And you have forgotten in taking on a ministry role that your most important role is to stay close to Jesus. You see, the fact of Scripture is this. God is mass producing his kingdom. And we pray, may your kingdom come. We sing that at our church. But God is mass-producing his kingdom through micro-relationships that people have with himself one person at a time. You see, God does have a plan to reach Kansas City, but his plan is this, one person at a time. God does have a plan to reach your family, but his plan starts with reaching you. God does have a plan to reach people at your business, but his plan is, first plan is to be close to you. God does have a plan in seeing your spouse finally give their life to Jesus, but his first plan is that you give your life to Jesus more. God does have a plan that one day your teenager will fall head over heels in love with Jesus, but his first plan is that you'll fall more head over heels with Jesus first. You see, God is about drawing people to himself. You know, I think one of the best ways that we can evaluate this at our church, Pastor Ryan Holt, who's our spiritual growth pastor, has put together kind of a, a, a next steps guide for our church. We have these at our next steps booth, unless the 915 service wiped us out. You can download this on our website at just next steps at takethejourney.cc. But there's 12 areas that we have identified in Scripture that as people progress spiritually, they begin to do this in our life. And I, I told our 915 service. So just go get this brochure and grade yourself on 1 to 12. Just give yourselves an A, B, C, D, or F. Or rate yourself 1 to 10. How are you doing in your personal spiritual growth? Tell someone. Get baptized. Consistently attend church. Be a part of a small group. Volunteer at church. Invite someone to church. Start reading your Bible. Start praying. Start living for Jesus. Become a cheerful giver. Start living on mission. Decide to mentor someone who needs to grow spiritually. Just go through this. And if you give yourself an F in every area, your first step of living on mission is just start getting closer to Jesus personally again. Go home and read your Bible this week. Because God's plan to mass produce his kingdom is to micro-produce relationships with himself. And then secondly, once God has you growing closer to Jesus, he wants you to be used by God in your generation. He wants you and I to be used in this generation, in this city, to make the same impact for him that these 72 disciples made in Luke chapter 10. But here's, here's our, if, if we need to know our role and we need to know our relationships and, and we need to understand our journey, what I pointed out to our earlier services, what God breathed into my spirit this weekend that I need to tell you today is, is this. You need to have the realization that our mission that God's mission through our church is being accomplished. You see, it's so easy to come to church Sunday after Sunday and not be living on mission or to be living on mission but not really realize you're living on mission. And I think after I begin to 
after I began to realize this week the success that our church is having living on mission, I realized that, God, I've been so busy doing church, every now and then I forget to celebrate of, for what you have done in our church. And let me give you an example of what I mean of just, just not totally being aware of what a great thing you are doing by being a part of our church. Uh, many of you have, have probably gone to the movies down on the Country Club Plaza. And if you have, you know that outside the movie theater for a long time sat an older African-American gentleman who, who would sit with his cup and he would beg. His name's Billy Ray Harris. Maybe some of you have heard the story. In February of this year, Billy Ray was sitting outside the movie theater down at, uh, at the Country Club Plaza, and he had his, his change cup, and he was begging for coin. And, and there was a couple inside, a couple who was engaged, who were inside seeing a movie. And, and the, the lady who was the fiancé of this gentleman, it, it had been a long day, and she had been at work, and her hands were starting to swell. So she took off, like many of us do, she took off her engagement ring, and she took off her other rings. And so that she wouldn't lose them, she took her engagement ring, and she put it in the change compartment of her wallet so that it wouldn't fall in her purse and end up falling out of her purse. And she forgot it was there. And on the way out of the movie theater, she saw Billy Ray sitting on the side of the road smiling and he was shaking his cup. And she grabbed her wallet and she pulled everything out of the change compartment and she dumped it in his cup and walked on. He got home later that night to count his money and to count his change and realized that there was nearly a $10,000 engagement ring that had been dropped in his cup. So he did not what everyone would do. He thought whoever put that in there probably didn't mean to. So I'm going to keep it, and I'll just hang on to it until they come and ask for it back. Surely they'll, they'll know what they've done. Three or four days later, after frantically searching for a ring, she realized what she'd done. She returned to the movie theater. Billy was sitting there. She approached him and said, you're never going to believe what I did. I feel so bad. Told him the story. And he said, I've been waiting on you, and I have kept your ring for you. And they gave it back to her. She and her fiancé called all the news publications, all the news stations. It ended up in USA Today. He ended up on Good Morning America. And they actually set up a fund for Billy Ray just because of the goodness and the integrity and the character and the kindness that he had shown them. And they said, anyone in Kansas City who wants to basically contribute to this honest man getting back on his feet, you have a 30-day window. We set a special fund so that you can contribute. And two weeks into that, it had already raised nearly $150,000. And they begin to interview Billy Ray and say, what do you think about all this? And he said something that made me think about a lot of people who may become too our church, and it certainly made me think about it this week. Billy Ray said, what I actually feel like is this. What has the world come to when a person returns something that don't belong to them and all this happens? He basically said, I was just trying to do the right thing. I didn't realize it was such a big deal, but it was a big deal. And I think we have a lot of people in our church who you actually are living on mission, but you've forgotten that it's a big deal. You invite people to church, and you don't think anything of it, but it's a really big deal. And you give in the offering, and you don't think anything of it, but it's a really big deal. And you've started reading your Bible, and you've started praying, and you've started growing spiritually, and you think, ah, oh, that's just what Christians do. No, no, no. No, it's a really big deal what you're doing. See, Jesus wanted his disciples to know in verses 23 and 24. Listen to what he told his disciples in verses 23 and 24, Luke chapter 10. He said, realize this is not normal. He turned to his disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see, but they didn't see it. And they wanted to hear what you hear, but they didn't. Jesus said, Listen, any time that you're 
cutting Satan down to his knees, that's a big deal. Anytime you're taking someone from darkness to light, that's a big deal. Anytime Satan has a foothold of poverty and you begin to feed people, that's a big deal. Anytime Satan has a place where pastors can't communicate because they don't have any tools and you give them tools, that's a big deal. And Jesus said, don't, man, don't forget what a big deal it is that you're doing. And I read this this week and I started sending emails out to our finance department, to our next steps department, to our spiritual growth department. I said, guys, I think sometimes we do church so much every Sunday we forget to celebrate what we've done. So I said, here's the information I want. In the 22 months that we've had church, I feel like Satan has fallen in the lives of people. I feel like we're making a dent in our community and around the world. So tell me what we're doing so that we can have a realization that what our church is doing is a big deal. And here's the numbers that were sent back to me since our church began September 18th, 2011. 342 people have made decisions for Jesus at our church on a Sunday morning at a youth camp or in our kids' ministry. Where they said, I'm recommitting my life and coming back to Jesus. Or where they said, I don't know Jesus at all. I'm connecting for the first time. 75 people have been baptized. We've given from our offerings $132,000 away to missions agencies around the world and locally in the community. We've sent 39 people from our church outside the United States of America to go on the mission field to fulfill Matthew 28, 19, and 20. And see, we can look at this and say, like, isn't that what churches are supposed to do? Jesus said, no, 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 don't miss. There's a lot of people that would like to see this happening. There's a lot of people who would like to be a church, a part of a church where this is happening. And don't disconnect what you just always have thought is the right thing to do, to invite, to come, to serve, to give. Don't disconnect that with the radical mission for Jesus that you're accomplishing. Because little by little, Satan and his demons are losing power in Lee Summit and in Cass County and Overland Park and Olathe and in Kansas City because of what this church is doing. So you say, Christian, what do we what do? We do? What, do you, what do you want me to do today? There's three next steps I'd like you to take. As, as we take this message and we try to live on mission for the rest of 2013, there's three things I want you to do. What are those things? Number one, choose a relationship in your life to invest in spiritually. Who is in your life that right now is not close to God that, that you can begin to pray for? You can write their name down. You can try to figure out how can I get this person to come closer to God? You know, Pastor Ryan and I this week were at the Southern Baptist um, conventions, church planning convention. They invited us to come down and talk about our church, which I think is so funny because we're 22 months in, we still, we sit around in our staff meetings and we're like, we feel like we have no idea what we're doing. And now they're trying to have us teach people what we're doing. So we're like, you know, just write this down. We don't know what we're doing. Um, and we've been to Virginia, we've been to Florida, now we've been to Texas. And everyone wants to know, it's like, how, how do you have that many people make decisions? How do you have a church that has as many people as you do that's less than two years old? And my answer is always the same. Our people invite their friends. We are not marketing geniuses. We we do not have high attendance Sundays. We're not trying to break records, but our people invite their friends. Our people live on mission. That's the only explanation that we have. So who else in your life isn't maybe real close to Jesus that, that you could begin to invest in so they could get closer to Jesus? Number two. Continue to invest in your own personal relationship with God. Did you commit to read your Bible through this year and then stop, start again? Did you commit to pray more this year and then you stop, start again? Did you commit to try to listen to more Christian music and then you stop, start again? Did you commit to try to stop doing a bad habit and then you start it again? Try to stop again. Renew your personal relationships and commitments with God. Were you someone who six months ago never missed church and now you've been once in six months? 
get faithful again. Renew your personal relationship with God. And then thirdly, choose your role and realize your impact. Don't ever give a dollar in our offering without realizing that orphans are being fed, without realizing that school children and least some that live under the poverty level are being fed, without realizing that pastors in the Sudan and Kenya who have no ability to minister without your help are being helped. Don't disconnect from, oh, yeah, I just gave an engagement ring back. No, what you're doing is special. When you invite someone, that's special. When you give in the offering, that's special. When you serve at our church, that's special. When you come faithfully, that's special. Don't disconnect from how amazing it is what God is doing in your life. And have realization there's a lot of people who would love to see what you're seeing happen, and they haven't. So realize Satan is falling. We're beginning to take more ground for Jesus, and there's more to go. Find a friend, invest in your personal relationship, realize your role and realize its impact, and let's keep moving.